Good morning. Happy Easter to you. Man, it's so good to see you guys. You guys look good today. I keep telling people, I don't like being out dressed on a Sunday, and, and you're doing it right now. You guys look great. What a good day to celebrate. And today, we are celebrating, and if you've ever been in Awana, you can say it with me, straight out of 1 Corinthians 15:3. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Amen. Hallelujah. We say he is risen. He is risen indeed. All right, let's kick it off. can have a seat, and as Pastor Paul comes up, I'm going to invite my first through sixth graders to come on up. We're going to sing our songs now. Come on up, you guys. Amen. Good morning, and happy Easter to you. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It's so good to have you here. Pastor John was not kidding. You all look good. 
some of you in your Easter finery. You're looking sharp today. Uh, good to have you with us. We're excited to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm glad to have you here with us. I want to invite our ushers forward as we get ready for our offering this morning. As we do that, I want to make one quick announcement for you men. I want to remind you today is the absolute last day now for you to register for rendezvous for our men's retreat because it's next weekend. So we really need you to register uh, today. So if you have been on the fence, kind of thinking about it, going back and forth, if really you've been intending to register this whole time and you just keep forgetting to do it, do it today, okay? Today's the day. If you aren't prepared to pay for it today, that's okay. We're not worried about that. We just, we want to have your name and make sure that we know you're going to be there and we'll worry about the rest later. So don't worry about that. Just register today. Do you hear me? All right. All right. Uh, let's let's uh, bow together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for being our rescuer. God, we often say no one is like you. No one can do the things you can do. No one has the sovereignty and the power to exercise will the way that you do. And Father, the fact that you have exercised that will and that power on our behalf is incredible. We thank you for reaching out to us and rescuing us, for drawing us to yourself while we were still sinners. You're a great God. You're praiseworthy. You're worthy of our awe and our worship. And so it's our delight to do that here today. Father, we uh, pray that this service would be honoring and glorifying to you, that it would please you as we've gathered together today. We pray for the morning's offering. Just everything we do in terms of ministry is fully supported by voluntary, cheerful giving of your people. We pray that you would have your hand on that and that you would bless what's given, that we would spread this good news of Jesus Christ far and wide and with clarity. We pray in his name. Amen.
I love that song. No matter what words they remember or sometimes forget, because y'all can be really nerve-wracking. You stand up here, you make me nervous, but they always remember the word shout out loud, right? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> love that. Uh, I also uh, meant to mention that uh, next week, because it is rendezvous, uh, I am going to stay up there and won't be here uh, next weekend, so you're welcome. Um, but Pastor Ken uh, will be preaching next week, so yeah, we're excited about that. Uh, this last week, just uh, on Monday, I, I got up and I was checking email and checking stories, and we were treated, of course, to this scene, this seems, oh, there it is. Right? Got up and saw this news that uh, the Cathedral uh, of Notre Dame in Paris, France, was burning. I remember being really disappointed about this, um, which if you think about it is kind of an odd reaction. Um, it's not odd in a lot of ways. Uh, this is a, a famous building, isn't it? It's been around for some 800 years. And there was a part of me that thought, how on earth did they let a fire start here? And then I thought, oh, there's like 800-year-old wood in there that's really dry, and it probably went up like a tinderbox, and maybe it was surprising that it hadn't had a fire before now. But the building is just iconic. It's part of the Paris skyline. Uh, and I had this sense of, I'll never really get to see the building now, you know? But that's just the thing. And this is why it's sort of strange. I didn't have plans to see the building. I haven't been to Paris. I had no immediate plans to go to Paris. But I just remember thinking, oh, now I'll never get to see this place, you know? It's going to be gone. There's this really tragic scene in particular where as people were watching this happen and people in, in Paris, you know, who lived there were just, you know, astounded and wondering how this happened. And there was this moment when the spire up on top of the, I, I think, it, you can still sort of see it in that picture up above, when that spire collapsed, right? It tipped over. And people who were there on the scene said there was just this groan across the city. People said, oh, you know, it's terrible. Now, there's some good news. In the days since then, they have said that actual, the, the, the structure of the building, the bones of the building are sound. Uh, they're going to rebuild it. Lots of uh, funds have been donated so that that can happen. Uh, they will make sure that it gets restored. But as you open your Bibles this morning to the book of Luke, I want to put this in some perspective. Because as we celebrate this event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this has already been said, this is Easter. For those of you that showed up and you weren't really sure, as it turns out, this is Easter. This is a big deal for us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But to put that in some perspective, I think we need to remember where they came from. And if you turn to Luke chapter 23, we've got the death of Jesus, which we reflected on a Friday night. Thanks for those of you that were here with us for our Good Friday service. And we took some time just to, to quietly meditate and ponder the events of this, this evening and, and this day. And in Luke chapter 23, verse 44, it says, It was now about noon. Darkness came over the whole land at three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining. 
and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's the seventh statement that he makes from the cross and his final. When he has said this, he breathed his last. And the centurion, this Roman guard, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. But then there's this, this verse here that we've talked about this before. You know, you read the Bible so many times, and yet this, this book is more than just a book. You know, it's living and it's active. And I, I just continue to see new things and fresh things that sort of strike me anew. And I know that I've read this, but it kind of settled in in a different way this, this year, which is what made it so interesting when I saw this event happen this week. It just, you know, kind of clicked together when I saw, saw the fire. But when this happened, verse 48 says, when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. <laughs> There's this, you know, some of the, the, the verses leading up to this set the stage that there are other Galileans, you know, people who had come from a very northern region in Israel, and they'd come down to the southern region. They were there. They'd kind of follow Jesus around. And they'd been party to all of these things and these events that had been going on this whole Passion Week. Many of them counted themselves as disciples of or followers of Jesus Christ. And here they are. They're at this scene. You know, it's a terrible, awful scene. But, you know, it's one of those things where you can't hardly tear yourself away either. And I'm not sure what they were waiting for. I'm not sure what they all expected. Maybe there was still some, some sense that he'll do something. You know, something's going to happen. We've seen some incredible miracles. Just wait. Just wait. As the hours ticked on, and finally Jesus makes this statement. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. We've talked about this before. Sometimes critics will say, well, maybe he wasn't really dead. You know, maybe there's, there's this whole swoon theory that he just kind of swooned. Come on, they weren't that dumb. They knew what dead was. They knew what it looked like when a person had breathed their last. The whole place knew. And he breathed his last. And the reaction here by so many people was this kind of a groan. You know, they did it differently in this culture. To, to beat your breast is a, it's, it's a sign of sorrow. Sometimes that's a sign in, in our society of exultation. You know, sometimes we see athletes, you know, just drain a, a brilliant three-pointer and, you know, kind of, it's different for us. But in their culture, that was a, a sorrowful symbol. It was like the groan that went up in Paris when they saw the spire tip over. It was just like, that's it. It's over. How sad is this day? How terrible. How awful. Most of those closest to Jesus weren't even there at this scene, you know. They'd already scattered. We know at this point Peter, one of the, the very closest disciples of Jesus, Peter had denied three times the night before that he even knew Jesus. He wouldn't even admit to knowing him. 
let alone being his disciple. They were gone. They were beat up. They were downtrodden. And they went away beating their breasts in sorrow. Which is why what happens next is so amazing and so brilliant. I've talked about it before. I just love the contrast that we get even in our church family here when we come together on Friday night and we ponder the events of Good Friday. But then there's this amazing contrast when we come back here this morning to celebrate the turnaround of this whole thing. In, verse, or in chapter 24, he says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. (laughs) And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Isn't that a brilliant question? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Among the dead, he's not here. He's risen. He is risen. There you go. (laughs) Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. (laughs) Hallelujah. I mean, some of these followers of Jesus, the, the, the gospel writers who record this narrative, they tell us, you know, we didn't understand everything he said. And then we look back and we thought, oh yeah, he did tell us pretty clearly what was going to happen. But we didn't get it at the time, and these women are in the same boat. And these angels, these messengers of God say, why are you looking for a, a, a living guy where a dead guy ought to be? Don't you remember? He told you. And these women say, oh, yeah, yeah, he did. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. (laughs) Now, it's easy to get really down on these apostles and say, what a bunch of dummies, you know. But come on, let's give them just a little bit of slack. This is an incredible happening. All right, can we just agree on that? I mean, sometimes I think we become so numb to the resurrection almost, you know, because we talk about this story all the time. But this is an incredible thing. And so when these women come back and say, guess what happened? The apostles, skeptics, they say, are you sure? That just sounds too fantastic. (laughs) Verse 36. After we're told that Peter did go and he ran to the tomb, found it empty, but he still was scratching his head wondering, I don't know. Verse 36, they were still talking about this. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. I love that. I love that. And we're going to see in just a moment that they touch him physically. He has physical form. And so just the fact that he's just sort of standing in their midst, you know, 
It's one of those subtle miracles that we kind of gloss over sometimes, but all of a sudden, he's just there. Peace be with you, he says. I love how Luke writes, they were startled and frightened. (laughs) That's an understatement, right? (laughs) Wouldn't you be startled and frightened? And maybe a little more? They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Because again, they know dead. They watched him die. And now here he was. And so their first thought is, wow, it must be a ghost. They're still not putting it together. But then he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's I myself. Touch me. He says, go ahead, touch me. See, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. I, I don't know about you, but how were those first touches? Uh, you know? <laughs> but then they, they turn into embraces, <laughs> clasping his neck. You know. Let's go ahead. And he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still didn't believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? <laughs> so they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. That's another thing ghosts don't do. I mean, so I've been told. <laughs> and he said to them, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. (laughs) And he told them, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And just as I I was moved by this scene at the crucifixion of people leaving, beating their breasts, I love just these simple words in verse 41. They were still having a, a hard time believing it because of joy and amazement. Have you ever been so filled with joy and amazement that you just felt like you needed to pinch yourself? right? It just seemed so fantastically incredible and classically too good to be true, you know? And they're so filled with joy and amazement, this stark contrast between what they had felt at the foot of the cross as they realized, wait, he, he really stopped breathing. He's really dead. That's it. We're done. This wagon to which we have hitched our star is now gone. This hope that we had, that this was the one, that this was the Messiah, that this was the rescuer that's been promised for so long, that this was the one that we've been waiting for, just died. Now what? And so can you imagine Jesus standing in the flesh, in their midst, saying, go ahead, it's okay, you touch me. 
do I look like a ghost? Do I feel like a ghost? Do I eat like a ghost? <laughs> you know, let's talk. <laughs> this joy, this is why this was so meaningful to these followers of Jesus. Because the one that they had put their hope in, who they saw die, was now alive again. Hallelujah. He is risen. And this was incredibly impactful to them. As you read the rest of the, the New Testament, the gospel writers, the, 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 the New Testament epistle writers, all of these people who write these letters and these books that we have, they talk about the resurrection more than any other thing. This fact of the resurrection, and, and if you still grapple with the fact of the resurrection, there, you can do some reading, you can do some study. I'm just going to warn you right off the, off the bat that everyone who has set out to disprove the fact of the resurrection has ended up putting their faith in Jesus Christ. So watch out. But go ahead, do, this, do the research. <laughs> I'll point you to some books. Some people have done a lot of scholarly research already. You can get you a, a head start. But they write about this fact of the resurrection more than any other thing. It becomes the central event of this entire story. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's that meaningful. It's that impactful. I was thinking of this psalm this past week. Psalm chapter 30. You can turn there if you want. But Psalm 30 Verse 11 says this, you turned my mourning into dancing. <laughs> There's a song that was popular a few years back from this passage. You turned my mourning or my wailing or my grieving into dancing. Hallelujah. This is what the resurrection was all about. This is why these, these writers of the New Testament wrote about it so frequently and so fervently. It's why they were so changed. It's why even a guy, I've said time and time again how much I love Peter and Peter's arc because he's this, you know, fiery kind of hothead of a guy, but then when it really comes to it, he runs and he won't even admit to knowing Jesus Christ. But the fact of the resurrection changed him so incredibly that he was willing to go to his own death because he would not relent from saying, this Jesus is the Messiah. He did rise from the dead, and it's changed me forever. Let's talk, you know, right? Because the fact of the resurrection changed these men and these women. It changed everyone who was within its sphere of influence. It changed everything. And as the worship team comes back up, we've got some more songs. If you thought, boy, we didn't sing enough, I have good news for you. But ponder the meaning, why this was so meaningful, the resurrection.
Some of you are thinking, that's the shortest sermon Pastor Paul has ever given. That was awesome. <laughs> Joke's on you. <laughs> if you want to turn to Romans chapter 1, Paul, writing this letter 
to a church that, that he hadn't even visited before in the city of Rome. Paul, who had been called as an apostle of Jesus Christ after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven, he refers to himself as kind of a weirdo. You know, he says, I was one abnormally born. You know, I wasn't, these other guys knew Jesus and walked with Jesus and ate with Jesus, and I didn't get that benefit, and still I was called to be an apostle. He has a very humble, you know, idea about all of this. But he writes one of his favorite letters. He writes is this letter to the Romans. And because he didn't know them, you know, he kind of goes way back to the beginning, and it's such a great kind of primer on, on Christianity. He starts way back at the very beginning and, 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 and talks about the problem. You know, once he gets his greetings out of the way, he just discusses this problem that we all have and, and why any of this matters. And it's a great kind of systematic theology in this nutshell, you know. But at the very beginning, as he's greeting them, Chapter 1, verse 4, he says this. We can back up to to verse 2. In fact, the gospel that God promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. We talked about that just last week, that Matthew takes great pains to start his, his gospel account with a genealogy establishing that Jesus is the rightful king, that he is a descendant of David, of that David, and he is the rightful king of the nation of Israel. Paul uses this same kind of terminology regarding his son as to his earthly life. He was a descendant of David. And then verse 4, and through the spirit of holiness was declared the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Always loved that statement. He was declared to be the Son of God in power by this event. This event proved a thing, didn't it? You know, Jesus, during his roughly three-year ministry between the ages of 30 and 33, he had caused some other people to rise from the dead. But in this event, this becomes so much more incredible and powerful because he just sort of of his own volition decided to get up and walk out of the tomb. Hallelujah. It's this power that declares, it proves that he is the son of God. And again, when I, when I say that these New Testament writers, this is the event that they continue to talk about, to praise about, to write about. This is it because of its importance here. But I think there's more than just that fact. We talked about the cathedral at Notre Dame and that fire and that sense of sort of disappointment that I had. Oh, that's a shame. You know, that's too bad. I guess I'll never get to see it now. (laughs) But then... I heard later, they got the fire put out, and they started looking at things, and they said, actually, structurally, it's really sound. This is fixable. This is doable. And, and French wealthy businessmen said, you know what? We want to donate a lot of money you know, to make this happen. It's going to be put back. It's going to be put right. And then I was happy about that. I was excited about that. You know what still hasn't happened? I still don't have plans to go to Paris and visit the cathedral. 
it makes one wonder, what am I so excited about? Right? Because if the restoration of the Notre Dame Cathedral just becomes this thing that I know in my head has happened, and I'm sort of happy about it in this weird intellectual sense, it really doesn't do me a whole lot of good, does it? Now, if I travel to Paris someday, and I take a taxi or whatever you take in Paris, and go to the church, and walk around the church, and go into the church and see it, and see that beautiful stained glass, and those amazing vaulted ceilings, and those things that that Notre Dame Cathedral is so known for, flying buttresses. Flying buttresses are amazing. They're a feat of engineering. And some of you are saying, what is a flying buttress? Look it up later. It's important. Only then will I really experience what's so great about Notre Dame Cathedral being restored. If you want to turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter is the first recorded letter we have written by Peter. And just in case you're wondering, yes, that Peter. Isn't this great? It's that same Peter who bolted on the night of Jesus' arrest. Who kind of, you know, stuck back in the shadows. And when people saw him and said, hey, aren't you one of those guys that knew Jesus? Nope. Don't even know him. Never met him, you know. But after the resurrection, after Jesus so sweetly and gently restores Peter to ministry, he says, Peter, you're going to feed my sheep. And Peter is changed. Read Acts chapter 2 if you haven't already. Check out Peter's demeanor in Acts chapter 2. He's not going to let anything shut him up about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But in this letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm going to read that again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hallelujah. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through this resurrection. And I think for me, that's the real crux of that verse. That it is a living hope. This is one of my favorite verses 
that outlines the fact that as these New Testament writers write so much about and talk so much about and praise and worship so much about and they affirm to each other so much about the resurrection, that it wasn't because they just had this intellectual idea of a resurrection. It wasn't just so that they could say, isn't that great that Jesus rose from the dead? What Peter is saying is, we have been given this new birth into a living hope right now. That right now, I am affected by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That this isn't a thing that I will enjoy sometime. It's a thing that I enjoy right now. The resurrection has meaning to me right now. It has meaning to all of us now. What an amazing thing. What a beautiful, wonderful thing. Because the story of the Bible is that you and I are to now live in the power of of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's risen. And because of that, you and I were born into something entirely new. Past tense, that happened. And now my present tense is that I am called to live experientially in the power of the resurrection. Not just to know it as some intellectual fact. Because all, if all it is is intellectual fact for me, there's some good to that. It proves that he's the son of God like he said he was. Nobody else gets up and walks out of a tomb but God himself. Come on. That's great. But if I just abstract that from myself sort of the way I'm currently abstracting Notre Dame Cathedral from myself. You know, I have this weird happiness that they're going to rebuild it, even though it really doesn't affect me at all. And if I do that, if you do that with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're missing out on so much. Because I am called to be in the power of the resurrection right now. Hallelujah. It's life-changing. It's life-altering. It is to me. It is to you. It, it wasn't just to Peter just because he saw it firsthand. Maybe it was more uniquely to him because he was one of those who saw it firsthand. But Peter doesn't say, hey, listen, I'm in this special position. Because I saw this, I was inexorably changed. And that was really great for me. Instead, what he says is, no, we, we were born into this new living hope. And the promise of the gospel, the promise of the Bible, is that we are called to live in the power of of the resurrection, this God who came and took on human flesh and lived and submitted himself to the worst kind of death that could have been conceived at that time, 
maybe the worst kind of death that's ever been conceived. I don't know. It's pretty awful. And was put into a grave. And then on the third day after that, said, that's enough. (laughs) And got up and walked out. That God lives in me and lives in you. If you're a follower of his, that happened and is happening. And you're to live in the power of that resurrection. The power of God himself who proved who he was on resurrection morning. And when those visitors to the tomb found it empty and those angelic messengers said, what are you looking for him here for? He did precisely what he told you he was going to do. Now go tell everyone. And be affected by this, which is why I love Peter writes this. We have this living hope now. It's alive because of the resurrection. It has meaning. It has power. Now, that doesn't mean that nothing bad ever happens, does it? But it means that even when bad things happen, and and they do, that I navigate those waters differently. I'm called to live in this reality whereby this resurrection of Jesus Christ is the north star by which I navigate every single set of of circumstances. And that even when they're bad, you know, we sang before, we have no fear because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If he died and stayed dead, it wouldn't matter. Paul writes in one of his other letters, to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. If Jesus isn't risen from the dead, then your faith is worthless. Who cares if you have faith in a guy who died and stayed dead? That's dumb faith. Our faith is in a God who died, but didn't stay dead. Because he's risen. He's risen. And you and I are called to live in the power of this resurrection daily to experience that hope into which we've been born every single day, every single hour, every single minute. And especially on a day like today, When some of you are maybe visiting, maybe you're from out of town, I don't know, but I have no way of knowing what your story is. I don't know where you are with God. I don't know if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're still grappling with this whole thing. If that's true, I'm really glad that you're here. I want you to feel welcome to be here. I'd I'd want you to be nowhere else than right here. Come and continue to ask questions. But let me just pose this to you this morning. That if you haven't yet put your own faith in this Jesus Christ, who proved himself the Son of God by dying and then living, the invitation is open to you. 
There's nothing blocking your way. And we get really good sometimes at saying, maybe I'll, I'll address that some other day when I get a couple things fixed because I, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Jesus came so that you would be fixed by his power, not by yours. Quit trying. Let him fix it. And the call of the gospel is to believe that Jesus was crucified according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that on the third day he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. But to do more than just believe that intellectually, to step into it and to live in this new hope that is ours because of this resurrection. Hallelujah. If you haven't done that, do that. I invite you on this day to do that. To put your own faith and trust in this Jesus who has no peer, who has no one who can stand in the same place as his, who is seated at the right hand of God because of who he is. And because he not only died to take the penalty for anything you've ever done or will do, but because he didn't stay dead and rose from the grave, you have new life, new power, a new hope that you can be born into, and it's yours, free for the taking. It's not merit-based. I could not, neither could you, possibly be good enough to meet the standards of a perfect God. It doesn't work that way. Fortunately, Jesus did. And all you need to do is to accept his provision, this one who proved that he was God, and live in the power of the resurrection. Our Father in heaven, We praise you. We worship you. We're in awe of you. God, you have so much power that you spoke everything into being. That by the sheer force of your words, creation obeys you. And Father, we praise you most of all for your love that saw us, that saw our fallen condition and intervened. You didn't just shake your head and say, what a bunch of dopes. You stepped in. You became flesh. You made the way for us to yourself by your power knowing full well that we didn't have the power to do it. And you have invited us now as one who not only died, but who came back to life to live in this power of the resurrection, to stand in it, to walk in it, to rest in it, to have hope 
Father, if there is anyone here who doesn't know you yet, God, will you draw them in a way that only you can? Will the power of your spirit stir their hearts to know your presence, your life, your love, and your deep, deep desire that they would be your child. And by simply trusting what Jesus already did in his death and his burial and in his resurrection, that we are moved from death to life and a new hope because of the power of the resurrection. Thank you for your love, for your grace and mercy by which we're saved. We praise you this morning. We celebrate you this morning. We love you so much, God. We pray in Christ's name.